Welcome to Out of the Rut. This is your host, Justin Rakowski, accompanied by Joe Trenshaw, producer Joe, who is currently on the COVID exempt list and is zooming in tonight. How you doing, Joe? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? All right. Uh, Joe is fine, everybody. He, uh, his his sniffer's not working too good, but other than that, uh, you're doing all oh, right. No, that's, that's back. We're, we're good. Oh, sniffer's back. All right. Zero symptoms. Good. So uh, we will have you back very soon, as soon as your uh, little uh, quarantine's all done. We're, yes, uh, sir. We're sitting here with my good buddy, Jake. Uh, I'd say your whole name, but I forgot how to pronounce the last part of it. <laughs> Jake Soltiak? Saltiziak. Saltiziak. Yes, sir. All right. Nice little Polish last name. Yes, absolutely. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well, man. I'm great. Uh, you know, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, um so I'll kind of lay it out how this whole thing came to be about. Uh, you're like, I don't know, the fourth person from my baseball league that I've had on here, but we're not here to talk about baseball. Um, you you have a really interesting you, you have a really interesting story, and uh, you were adopted from uh, South Korea. South Korea. Yeah. Um, and so I just I so I had somebody talking to me about uh, being adopted from a different country as a, as an infant. And I just it just brought up a lot of questions that I had, and I was really curious about, you know, how somebody might deal with that experience. And then literally that same day, you posted this long status on Facebook oh, that yeah. I read, and I was like, okay, um, this this would be a great conversation to have. Um, so I'm really grateful that you uh, decided to come on. So what? So take what's give me a little bit about about your background. What's your story? All right. So um, where are you at currently? Let's let's start there and work backwards. So we, um, me and uh, I'm married, 27 years old, and we have two little ones at home with us, a uh, five year old and a, uh, or excuse me, he just turned six. Cool. And then my daughter's going to be five in a couple months here, but uh, we moved up to Sparta. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm very familiar with Sparta. Okay. Yep. Up in the boonies there. Yep. We were over. Um, by Plainfield area, okay, um, like Knapp and Fuller. Sure. Um, so we we had the opportunity to build out there last summer, so we moved out there, um, and uh, I don't know, it's going pretty good. It's quiet out there, which is nice. That is very nice. It's it's for, it's further out of town, so it took me a good half hour to get here, but <laughs> definitely worth it. <laughs> worth the drive. Cool. Well, thanks for making the trip. Yeah. So, um, so you're you're adopted from South Korea. Were yes. you were you adopted as an infant then, or do you have any memory of? No. Okay. So I was born in Seoul, um, and uh, I came over here when I was three months old. Okay. So, so you had no recollection of that. Um, and then your parents. Um, I, I've met your dad a couple times. Yep. Um, great people. Uh, what? Um, at what point? I, let me start with this. At what point in your life did you realize that, um, you know, were your parents? D- did you kind of know from a really young age growing up that you were adopted, or did you start like noticing that you looked different from your parents, or how did that whole thing kind of come yeah, about? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I guess I kind of always knew, you know, looking in the mirror and then looking at them, um, I knew I was different. But um, my mom was really good about, you know, integrating 
you know, the cultural differences and, uh, you know, the backgrounds. And we actually, me and um, my two other siblings who were both also adopted from South Korea, uh, we, every summer we went to this culture camp with all a bunch of other um, adoptees okay. from Korea, China, Russia, you know, all over the world. So that was cool that she was very willing to try and give me as much as uh, she could regarding my background so yeah absolutely what do you think that did for you just knowing that uh just knowing that there were a lot of other people out there kind of in your in your in your same shoes if you will so the the culture camp um it was called heritage camp um through an organization called um ffic families for international children but you know i was so young that it was more of like a camp than it was learning about where i was from you know so it was it was interesting because uh, it was more of like oh I get to go see my summer camp friends rather than I get to go hang out with people that you okay. know, feel like I do which when you're young you don't really know how to you know how to feel about that for sure what were what were some things that you struggled with as a kid because um, I know that that there 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 everybody handles it differently right? yeah absolutely um, the, the gal that I was I was speaking with uh, she mentioned that there are um, there's just some like some some psychological stuff that even like a two-year-old could have just like that separation from the mother feeling and all that stuff um did you go through any of those types of things or what was your experience like so it wasn't so much um maybe not psychological things that i consciously knew they say a lot of times like when you're adopted as an infant you may have you know subconscious issues that you don't know about that might come up later in life Um, which i guess you know i kind of experienced in some way shape or form but it's the small things that you hear as a kid, like, oh, you know, you look like your dad. Oh, you, you know, your mannerisms are just like your mom or you sure. have your mom's eyes. And, you know, when I would hear that, I would uh, I'd be like, oh, I don't I don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm not blood related to my parents. So, right. It almost like that you weren't getting the validation that other kids were getting. Exactly. In that regard. Yeah, that's exactly that. So I think that's why, you know, at a young age, I started to keep myself busy and just immerse myself into sports and music and pretty much anything that would give me that sense of validation. Awesome. What kind of uh, sports and music were you into? Um, so I started with soccer, which is a very, you know, traditional thing, it seems like, sure. at yeah. least, you know, growing up in Grand Rapids. Yeah, so. I played soccer all the way up until eighth grade. Yep. So that was that was my sport. Um, I played soccer from the time I could probably walk until I started playing football in fifth grade. Okay. So... Um, and then baseball was, I played t-ball since I could pretty, I think I was like three or four. Yeah. And then that was the one sport that I've carried up until now, yeah. pretty much. So. Did you play at a high school level? In baseball? Yeah. Yeah. I um, I played for Grand Rapids Catholic Central. Okay. Which oh. is uh, right downtown. <laughs> hey, Justin, this is, a, this is the fun point. Yeah. Um, Joe knows every single guest that I bring on in some form or fashion. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I also went to Catholic Central. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Graduated in 2015. 2015 okay i graduated in 2011 2011 um so you would have known like oh man so what were you you a freshman or you were in probably eighth grade then yeah i would have i would have been eighth grade okay so my older sister was anna trenshaw she would have been a freshman that year yep i know the name (laughs) yep there you go that's crazy small world good job joseph (laughs) wait did you have a sister hannah i did Okay, yeah, I was in band with her. That is crazy. Uh, yeah. That's insane. Go. That's a small world. Small world. Yeah, Grand Rapids is, is huge, but it's real it's really a little town in, in some aspects. 
I was uh, we were getting gas today, and there's a I, the guy in front of us pumping gas. I was like, um, I was sitting, well, I was sitting in my car while I was pumping gas because it's freaking cold outside. And um, the, the car in front of us, I was like, hey, Chloe, uh, I used to work with that guy at Walmart. She's like, why don't you go talk to him? I was like, eh, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> yeah, half of the the Cascade Walmart is all Bosnian uh, mm. people, and so like I can't understand. That. <laughs> so it's like i i don't remember his name it's it's like uh aramis or something like that anyway um back to yeah so you went to catholic central play, yep. played baseball there yeah um they're pretty good at baseball right we so i think up until last year we were the last team in a long time to win regionals and then go beyond that okay i think we lost in like the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the um the state tournament but we had a pretty good squad a lot of guys went on to play college ball but that's cool senior year i actually was injured so i only i think got up to bat like maybe once or twice on like senior day and oh that's a bummer yeah i got i got hurt uh the winter of my junior year and then had to have a couple surgeries on my leg so it was was it uh acl no, it was, um, so I broke my leg, um, and they had to go in and put a plate with some screws in there. Oh, jeez. That's was, worse than an I was ACL. On, <laughs> I was on crutches, I think, for like two and a half months. Ugh. It was horrible. Yeah, I tore my ACL when I, playing football my sophomore year. Yeah. And I, it was in August that I tore it. I had surgery in des- at the, right at the end of December, and I only missed two baseball games that spring. That is so insane. It is insane, and I think i paying the price for it because i don't it hurts today <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah uh 10 years later i i don't think that surgery took really well so anyway so um what was that what was your like school experience like because Ca- catholic central uh a ho- whole lot of uh little whites being taught by older whites yeah like, so, what was that experience yeah like? I, I grew up in the catholic um like school system from yep. preschool are you still are you catholic um I don't practice. Sure. Um, I, I do go to a Christian church that my uh, wife was going to, so I kind of switched over. What church is that? Uh, it's actually uh, Resurrection Life. Oh, Resurrection Life. Grandpa. Yeah, So yeah. one of those big, yeah, you mega know, church. I had a lot of thoughts going into that place. For sure. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I go to Crossroads, so it's basically the same thing. Okay. I grew yeah. up Catholic. My wife grew up Methodist. And okay. And so we kind of decided to do the non-denominational route. Yeah. It's actually funny. Here's how dumb I am. So when we <laughs> when we uh, um, were getting married, Chloe started going through like the RCIA yeah. Catholic process or whatever. And then we found out we're having a baby and that we just decided to get rid of that whole... Because she was going through the process and coming home and at, and asking me all these questions. And I made the decision. I'm the, the leader of this house now because we're, we're having a baby and getting married. And so you're going to do what I know how to do. So we're going to be Catholic, damn it. And, <laughs> uh, so she went to a couple RCIA classes and, and she was actually taking it seriously and coming home and asking me like a lot of questions about it. I was like, well, I don't really believe that. And I don't know the answer to yeah. that. And slowly it kind of materialized into like, I've been, you know, practicing something that I may not fully believe in. Um, and so we had some friend of ours, um, that introduced us to a pastor and his wife that were willing to marry us. And it was a crossroads church in Marshall, Michigan. Okay. And uh, we had recently started going to crossroads church in Grand Rapids and I thought it was a denomination. (laughs) 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 So, uh, so yeah, that in our marriage counseling, I was like, there's a crossroad church in Grand Rapids. Like what, what denomination are you guys a part of? And they're like, uh, we're they not. looked at me like I just like cussed in church. They're like, you said denomination. Like, what, what are you talking about? You don't say that here. <laughs> no. 
So uh, anyway, so you're um, going to Catholic school. Um, what yeah. was that like? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to, I can't even count um, how many, you know, it was majority, let me say this, it was majority uh, white people. Yep. Um, I think there was one black kid that transferred to our school who I actually was really good friends with mm-hmm. uh, in seventh grade. But up until that point, I think there was, you could probably count on one hand how many Asian people um, were actually probably total minorities like mm-hmm. in your grade. Sure. I, actually, I think I was probably one of two mm-hmm. minorities and like uh, almost 60 kids sure. in my grade. And the whole school was like that. So, you know, Mm-hmm. A handful of us and very monolithic three of them you know were uh in the same family my siblings so oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so it was interesting you know um you would get subtle things like uh like what's it like i'm like what, what do you mean what's it like to be so good at math or the, something yes. like that well yeah. no it was just like what's it like and i'm like what do you mean um they're like you know to be like asian and i'm like i guess i didn't really think about it i don't For feel sure. any different than you do you know i look different but you know i've been here since i was three months old like i don't I was raised in a Polish family. We have, you know, sauerkraut and kielbasa at every family get together, you know? Um, yeah, which I'm not complaining about by any no, means. nothing wrong with that. But, you know, you get you get these uh, questions and at a young age it confuses you, but you kind of just learn to brush it off. Sure. And like I said before, I was so busy with uh, music and, and sports. I just fully immersed myself in that kind of stuff. So I kind of would brush it off, go back to doing my thing, go to practice, whatever. But then, you know, going into sports practices, again, you know, they're like, Oh, I didn't know Asian people could play basketball. You guys are, you know, why are you so tall for an Asian guy? I had my growth spurt early and I've been the same size since like eighth grade. Okay. But, um, you know, it's, you get called Yao Ming and, you know, this and that, Jackie Chan. And sure. it's just like, it's fun and games to everyone because they don't really realize what they're saying, I guess. Sure. So, um, in that sense, it, it, I think it started to pound away at, you know, mm. um, my, uh, sense of self in a way sure so you know you you do get insecure but at the same time like you can't show it because you're the you've got no one to talk to right you know there's and i never went to uh my siblings about this kind of stuff like Mm -hmm. oh did you you know get called this and that it was kind of just like a hush hush thing you know you don't mention it sure because i guess you don't really know how to express yourself that well when you're what in fifth sixth seventh grade yeah for sure at what point did you realize that hey maybe this is affecting me a little bit oh man i so as sad as it is, like once once I got to high school, you know, there's a lot more kids there. Um, but it's the same thing, yeah. you know. Like at one point, like like my, fresh eighth grade freshmen, sophomores, they could be brutal. Oh yeah, yeah, and and they don't even know it. That's the thing. Yeah, like, you know, for sure. I was always like, um, I won't say like the cool kid, but you know, I had a lot of friends, and being in sports gives you, you for know, sure your that teammates helps at out. school. You can, oh yeah, you can assimilate to something. Yeah, absolutely, know? and um. At the same time, though, like you're, you know, you you go home and you're you're sitting alone and you're like, oh man, like so and so, you know, said this to me or so and so asked me this or, um, you know, at one point my nickname, the people would just say, hey, Asian, and I would answer because I was the only Asian guy around. So I think that kind of gave me an identity to attach myself to. Yeah. So I was. Do you ever fire back somebody say, hey, Asian, and you just look at them like, hey, white? Um, like jokingly with my friends, but that's the thing. It was, it was a joke. Yeah. It wasn't something meant to be taken seriously, but at the same time, I don't think they knew, you know, that it might be hurtful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, I almost identified with it because I'm like, it gave me a sense of validation. It gave me a sense of self, like, oh, that's me. I'm I'm the token Asian guy. Like, that's cool. 
Um, so it almost like was a bitter sweet kind of thing, which is mm-hmm. weird to say and to uh, admit. But yeah. you know, so it wasn't all bad. It not completely. Okay. I think um, there's some silver lining. In there, it yeah, that yeah, you were yeah, able yeah, to find. Yeah. Okay. Um, at the time, it got me by for sure. Yeah. Um, mentally. Mm-hmm. But I think let's see here. I would think I was 17. Um, so what junior year of high school mm-hmm. is when I started to really question like my background, like, Oh, like, why am I here of all places, you know, in the world I could have gone. I mean, I wound up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, going to Catholic central with a bunch of white people. Yeah. Like, you know, so you, that's when the, the subtle racist things, you know, you would, you would hear at school and, and sports and, uh, that kind of thing. It started to really pound away at my my mental. Mm-hmm. So, so l- were you able to draw a fine line between um, fr- ignorance and malice? Did did you did you s- feel that there were there were some kids that maybe maybe were saying hurtful things, but they were coming at it from a, a standpoint of, I think this is funny. I think this is something that we can all laugh at. And did you find that there were some kids that just didn't give a flip and were like, I'm trying trying to mess with you. Um, not, so like I said, I was pretty, uh, diverse in my like extracurriculars. I was, uh, in choir, you know, I played piano. I was on like varsity sports team. So I like kind of knew everybody and in Catholic central, like the way it's set up, like it's very clicky. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, Absolutely. if you're involved in a couple different groups of friends, like you, there's always someone to talk to, you know, For sure. I had a pretty big, um, circle of friends. So mm-hmm. in that aspect, like when they would say things to me, I knew that it was like a joke and like, I kind of like took it and joked back with it. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, like, so I did better on math tests than you and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I never realized it might've been out of pure ignorance, mm-hmm. um, until I got older and I started to learn how to process these things yeah. in my mind. At the time it was just a joke. It was just mm-hmm. a friendly thing. Um, and I didn't seem to mind it too much. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, this is just a side note. I don't think I've met anybody that other than the adoption thing, yeah, I don't think I've met anybody that has a more similar background to me. Oh, this yeah. is really weird hearing you talk because I, I grew up, went to Catholic school, Polish last name. But get this: you're 27, I'm 27. Both have two kids. Yep. Both had first kid at 21. Yep. Um, both played varsity sports. Both played piano. Both were in choir. That's insane. Like I, I d- <laughs> we've got more in common than ninety percent of people that I've met. That's pretty life. cool, though. That's it's, pretty wow. cool. It is really cool. So, um, were like, what kind of piano stuff did you do? Oh man, so I had a grumpy old uh, lady that was my teacher for, you know, uh, nine or ten. Aren't years. they always? Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> I don't know if there's any. You know, at the time you're like, oh, this is cool, but yeah. you know, it was she was solely into musical theory mm-hmm. and like workbooks and homework and classical music. That yep. was it. I'd be like, Hey, can I play this song I heard on the radio? And she'd be like, no, mm-hmm. you know, get that out of here. Yeah. Like it was, it was so bad. So, um, it was just 10 years of just brutal Mozart and Bach and Beethoven. Oh, <laughs> it's like the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, huh. there's an analogy I was just about to make that escaped me. It's the um, the bread and butter of you, if you will, of the. Uh, oh, that was gonna sound dumb anyway. Anyway, <laughs> the the very the most some like Bach especially some of the most mundane. Uh, I I learned Bach's invention number na- number eight when I was eight years old. Okay. So that's that's kind of where I was at with with that. So yeah. I I was very much um, 
yeah, raised on the same stuff. Yeah, piano um, recitals and competitions mm-hmm. and Did you ever compete in the uh I think it was the the music SATs or something like that? Oh, um that you would go and you'd have like three tests, you'd do a, a theory test, uh uh um a perf- there was a performance segment, a theory segment and then like a um uh what do you call it when you hear something by ear? Um Oh yeah, uh, I know what you mean. Um Oratory, yeah, um, did yeah, you, something I, like that. I did do that. I think one or two years, and okay. oh man, I hated it. You did. I so like during like my recitals, I would just black out. No kidding. I, I have the worst because you had to memorize fright. it. You couldn't use any music. No, and that's the thing is like half the other kids got to use like their sheet music oh, for their serious? recitals, but my teacher for some reason was like, "No, you're you you can memorize it. You're smart." I'm like. Is it because I'm Asian? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, all jokes aside, though, yeah, I just, the stage fright, it was horrible for me. That's I would memorize, I would play it, like, crap out of it, you know, because I was so nervous going into it. I'd go up on stage, play my piece, sit back down, and I could not remember if I messed up or not. Hmm. So my um, my experience with my, I remember my first recital, like it was yesterday. So my Miss Ruth was her name. And she had um, she had like twenty five or thirty something students at this recital, so it was kind of it was a big oh yeah. Thing. And she wanted to challenge me with something, so she wanted me to learn a new piece before the recital. It was about a month, and my 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 and so, and I was homeschooled too when I was younger, so this helped, so I could just play the piano all day. Um, but we somehow landed on box invention number eight, oh man, which is a very. Um, it's a simple piece. It's only like three pages long, but it's incredibly complex because you have melodies going on on the right and left hand. Yeah. And it's, and it's very technical. Um, it, it's not easy. No. Um, and so I learned this thing in a month. That's impressive. At eight years old. At eight years old. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the concert that she had me at, I was this, like the second to last person to go on stage. Oh, man. So there's all of these like 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds like playing. The like, pressure is building. Old McDonald, Twinkle Twinkle <laughs> Little Star. I, I, was, I was taught in the Suzuki method. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. I don't know. Um, but it's a very structured, um, methodical way of teaching piano. Okay. And there's seven books. And box invention number eight, I believe, is in book four or five. Um, so I skipped a lot to get there, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, same thing. S- stage fright. Oh man, pissing down my leg. Yeah, like, it's horrible. Very, yeah, um, but I think at the same time, very valuable, very valuable experience. Oh, to absolutely. Have as a child. Yeah, I look back on it and because uh, I always like every year, I'd be like, "Mom, do I have to do it again?" She'd be like, "I think her rule with me was like, once you get to high school, you'll have a lot more going on. You can decide if you want to stop taking lessons." Yeah. Um, but until then, you have to do it. And I started, I think, when I was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting story. Uh, it was my brother who was taking lessons. His teacher would come over to her house, and he would sit there, and he'd get so frustrated. And I'm sorry I'm saying this, Lewis, by the way, if you <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> um, and uh, she would leave. He would leave. And I would go, and I would start playing what I heard. And then my mom was like, oh, maybe you should just pick up. And then Lewis is like, I quit. I'm done. So I picked up where he left off. So mm-hmm. I kind of skipped a year okay. just from hearing it. And my mom was like, oh, that's something special, blah, blah, blah. And then after a couple of years, I'm like, she won't, she's not fun. This is not fun, mm-hmm. you know. But looking back, I'm like very, very thankful that I was forced to take those lessons yeah. for all those years. Mm-hmm. For sure. The, the, the weirdest thing for me, and I had some 
I don't know. I don't know if maybe it was learning deficiencies or maybe I was just not interested in school stuff, but I could, I could play very complex piano pieces before I could actually read. Okay. I had this thing in my brain where, uh, well, the, the reason I started playing piano, um, and I didn't bring you on here just for me to talk to you, but I want to hear what you have to say too, but it's really interesting that we're talking about this. Cause I can't talk to like a lot of people yeah. about piano stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It, there's like a lot of people don't know this. Stuff. Yeah. Um, so when I was five, I had a really bad tremor in my hands. Like my hands okay. would just shake all the time. And one of the things that the, and, um, instead of physical therapy, they're like, Hey, why don't you get him piano lessons? And oh, wow. That'll, that'll give him, it'll help build some of the muscles in his forearms. So uh, I went to this old crotchety teacher for about a month and the teacher had a conversation with my mom and she's like, you know, you need to get him somebody better than me. And I was hmm. like, okay. The, my mom was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then we're, we're in like, we go to this different teacher and then she like, um, cause I, at this point I had a basic understanding of like the notes and what keys they were and stuff like that. Like I could look at a piano and say that was a C. Okay. Um, but my teacher, she she started playing notes, and she, I was like, "Oh, that's a B." She's oh, like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "Turn around." And so I turn around, and she starts playing notes, and and I and I have perfect pitch. Yes, and so that is a gift. Oh, it, nice. That is not something that you can. I mean, you can practice it to a certain extent, but For I sure. mean, you have it or you don't. Yeah, and and there there are some ways that you can learn learn how to get better at it. But to this day, like if if like I I don't have a piano. I haven't played. I play every time I go to my parents' house, which is like a couple times a year. Yeah, but. Still to this day, I always test it. See, like, all right, let's see if I still got this. And my little sister, who went to college for cello, very good at music. She hates me for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's this frustrating. Alley, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, you, go ahead, Joe. So, on the perfect pitch thing, I actually heard something recently talking about um, different tuning schemes. Yeah. So, I heard there's a lot of people with perfect pitch that have issues when people use a different. Like basically, there's there's different ways that you can determine if something is that note based on frequencies, and it's based on like equal spacing of between notes or uh, like different frequency ranges. There's a bunch of little things, and I heard that you can actually mess with that and confuse people with perfect pitch. You're 100 percent right, and Ali actually tried to mess with me on that playing notes in different mm. in different uh, pitch relation to to each other. Yeah, that's and, what I was um, looking for pitch relation. Yes, and she could not throw me off with that one. Um, but anyway, so I, I digress. We, we've gone down this rabbit trail for far enough. So back, <laughs> back to you, Jake. So, um, uh, hold on. We've removed the 40 minute. Uh, oh, cool. Okay. Zoom just told me that, uh, I didn't have a 40 minute time limit anymore. So, um, so going back to your, um, uh, your adoption story. Yeah. So what, so we've kind of talked about your journey through high school. What, um, what are I'll I'll just let you roll on this. What are some things that uh, Joe Blow, average Joe, never really looked into adoption? What are some things about you that the average person might not know, just based on your experience? Oh man, this is um, a very open-ended question. Yes, so. this is. Where do I start with this? Um, wow, that is a good question. Um, I guess for starters, like uh, there's a lot of internal conflict. I guess you could say um, with your identity. Um, and I think maybe leading up to it, like I've spoken with a lot of other, um, adoptees and they've all gone through the same thing. You know, they have the same kind of story. Like I grew up with primarily white friends and, um, you know, I was the only one that was, you know, 
different on top of being adopted. And it was just like, uh, there's name calling and, you know, you don't see other kinds of uh, people like us around and blah, blah, blah. But uh, it slowly but surely kind of tacks away at your, you know, your sense of self, like I stated before. And, you know, it, it starts to build insecurities. And I think, you know, when you're younger, it's easy to keep yourself busy. But, you know, once uh, I was a little bit more settled down, I didn't have as much going on. Uh, that's when you start to really s sit there and think about, oh, you know, like, for instance, I would hear um, backhanded like compliments like, oh, you know, uh, you're like the most athletic Asian dude I've ever seen. You're athletic for an Asian guy. Uh -huh. I'm like for an Asian guy. So you put me next to yeah. Justin over here. I'm not a good baseball player. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not true. By <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, you know, little things like that you start to really process and it kind of makes you not, you know, live in the past, but it makes you go back and think about all the little things. And then that starts to attack you as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of internal things that, you know, start to come out that you thought were gone, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. What are some what are some mental things that you've done to kind of um, because the one thing I like about you is that you never come across to me as, as seeing yourself as a victim. No. So you is somebody in your situation could uh, do one of two things. You could roll with the punches and figure out how to deal with a lot of the stuff yeah, or absolutely. you could just sit here and feel sorry for yourself. What are some things that you've done to kind of uh, not put yourself in that victim category um man it's 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 all about perspective at least it was for me you know the power of a positive perspective was huge for me mm -hmm. because there was a moment in time where i was like going through you know i wouldn't say i was absolutely depressed but i was you know i, I questioned a lot of things i'm like why am i here like i would have rather been you know grown up in the streets in korea and at least been around people like me kind of mm -hmm. thing you know i started to feel bad for myself yeah. but i look back on it and i was like well you know I grew up in a very like good household. My parents paid for Catholic private schooling, you know, and a lot of kids can't say that, you sure. know? So I think just being positive overall and, uh, you know, counting your blessings for what they are, regardless of, you know, the fact that, you know, I have this interesting background. It's just like the fact of the matter is I'm here, you know, I'm was set up for success. You know, I was, I was taught good morals. I was raised well. I had the opportunity to play sports and do what I love. And, um, I never had to worry about anything else other than just being a, a normal kid. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess if someone, you know, came to me, which I have had people do, they're like, how do you, how do you, you know, change that mindset? It's like I said, it just starts every day, like getting up and realizing like, you know, you just have to be happy to be here and, and understand, uh, you know, you, you have to, you can't, you can't live in a state of, uh, of uh, you know depression mm -hmm. and this is kind of like a side note but the whole now I, f I see it a lot nowadays it's uh like it's okay to not be okay mm -hmm. which i agree with but only to a certain extent mental health is huge mm -hmm. you know and it, it's it's okay to admit maybe you're not okay but that doesn't mean it's okay to not be okay forever that's that is such mm -hmm. a huge thing and i think that's why a lot of people um i think today more than ever you know i I come from a place of being very unaware of a lot of mental health struggles. I've never, I've had a, a very brief bout with the, with depression that was about a month long and something changed in my life and I figured it out. And yeah. I, I, but other than that, um, I, I know two people very close to me that uh, have had a hell of a time with it. And um, I think that a lot of pushback that mental health advocates get from people on the other side 
is is that thing right there yeah. it's okay to not be okay it's it is okay to not be okay in a sense that nobody should judge you for where you're at right now absolutely but mm-hmm. they're all the caveat to that is is that you know you can there 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 has to be some sort of action steps to to get you back to being you um and that's different for everyone yeah um in my opinion anyway yeah for sure so yeah and that's the thing is like you know that's like you can you can't leave it at that it's okay not to be okay like i understand that but what are you going to do to make sure that you move on from that you know it's okay to not be okay for a certain amount of time you have to look at it you know decide what it is that's not okay and that what you know what's causing you harm and then like you said there has to be some sort of plan of action to move on from that Mm -hmm. so you know but as i say then okay boomer you know people are like you know Mm -hmm. it's not all about being tough and moving on and blah 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 but uh you know if if people are so advocating for mental health it's like well then you have to other than just admitting defeat and laying there you know you got to teach these people how it is to be okay yes because it's it's better to you know it's okay to be okay too you know what i mean so for sure Mm -hmm. you i the to the people who are struggling with mental health is that you owe it to yourself oh yeah to 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 figure it out and the world is a better place because you are in it yes and um, i think that and this is this is a statement coming from a standpoint of ignorance but i'm gonna say it anyway is that you the if I think that some depression comes from a some people who struggle with depression, that depression comes from a lack of self worth. Yes. Do you agree with that? Statement? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and it is hard to pick up the pieces and, and give yourself that worth. Um, but you always hear after success stories and you know like a good support system, have someone to talk to. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it should not be encouraged to just sit there. And be okay with wallowing in your grief. For sure. Set that time, you know, there's there's a time and a place for it where you have to admit and see what's wrong. But um, you also have to, like you said, move forward and, and give yourself that self-worth and realize that, you know, you're for here sure. for a reason. And, it you know, there's nothing more powerful to me than, than coming to uh, realize what, what you're here for. So, yeah. What are you here for? Oh, man. That, ah! is, that is a loaded question. <laughs> Still figuring that out as I go. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, you know, it's a journey for sure. Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, to be able to go from questioning, you know, my purpose, like of all places, why Grand Rapids, Michigan? Why this? Why me? Um, I had to try and turn it around to, um, you know, maybe other people are feeling this way. Maybe I can help, you know, speak to them. Maybe I can uh, advocate for them and, you know, just be a support system for someone else that was there. And Mm -hmm. it's just baby steps that, that kind of brought me to um, being a lot more confident. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. So moving forward a little bit. um, So now you're 27, you got a couple kids. Um, You're, uh, you're uh, Korean. You're, you're, you're American, but you're from Korea. Yes. Um, Your wife's white. Right. She so she's um she's part Native American. Okay, yeah, gotcha. But pri- I've just seen pictures on Facebook. I yes. don't know the whole story. Yeah, pri- primarily white. Sure. So what um, wh- how how are you going to take your experiences and and teach your kids about this? Yeah, man. So because they like there's um because there's a, of... there's a there's a stance that they're like they're too young to know up to a certain point but like then at oh some man point... I've I've already let them know like you're Korean <laughs> like you need to understand look here <laughs> okay um, right. I want them to be proud of their background and I'm gonna give them everything that I know and I, I continually you know research and try and 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 teach myself more and more about you know Korean culture and I try to keep you know 
up to date on that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so I can give that to them. Not saying that my parents lacked in that, but it's just, you know, me being Korean as well. Right. You know, I think that helps in itself so they can, because they look very uh, Asian, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. There's, you know, a lot of kids that are mixed that they look, you know, you can barely tell they're Asian, but my mm-hmm. kids are pretty, um, they're pretty Asian yeah. looking. I guess you could adorable, say. I appreciate the it. They're so yeah. cute. <laughs> um, but I want them to, um, to be proud of, you know, what they look like and uh, their background and to be able to have that self-worth instead of growing up questioning, you know, why do I look like this? Why don't other people look like me? Um, because that set aside from adoption is just, you know, it comes down to a, an ethnicity thing. Sure. So, and they, and they, they're going to a private school right now uh, as well. And it is a little bit more diverse than the one I grew up in, but right. um, you know, I want them to have a, a pride behind, you know, their physical appearance as well as their cultural uh, yeah. background. Speaking of pride, do you have any, um, have you, or do you have any interest in, um, tracking down your birth parents? Okay. So, um, I'm glad you asked me that. I actually, so, um, what did I say? Like junior year of high school, 17, I started to question and I, I kind of told my mom too, like, do you have any information about my biological yeah. parents? And, um, she was like, well, when you turn 18, that's when the government, um, can legally help you. Um, so if you want to do that, let me know. I have everything I need on file. Like she was very supportive of it. She was okay. like, you deserve to know or to at least, you know, investigate. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. So 18, you know, comes and I'm like, oh man, this is it. This is, I'm going to do it. And I looked at the paperwork. I sent some emails, I think. And then I, I stopped. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know what happened. I think I got distracted or if I, I think it was becoming too real for me. Mm-hmm. Like the thought of maybe I'll find her someday, you know, that was nice. But when you're actually going forward with it, it's it's completely different. It's, it's, ter- it's terrifying. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying because yeah. you always hear these stories about um, you send in your paperwork, they, Korean social services, they send a letter to your biological parents if they can find them. And that's a big if. Um, and then basically the parents open the letter and they send it back saying, yes. I will agree to have, you know, some sort of contact with them or no, this is out of sight, out of mind. I forgot about this the minute I gave them up. So that to me, I was like, oh man. Yeah. You don't want to. Yeah. That's open up. Open it. It would open, it would open yourself up to uh, rejection. Yeah. Which, you know, I was already struggling enough, Mm -hmm. you know, going from the name calling and, you know. I was super hot headed too at that moment. No kidding. That, oh yeah, I had. You're so nice though. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten into uh, numerous physical altercations. No you could kidding. say from you know like the biggest thing is uh, Asians are bad drivers, oh. which you know I <laughs> the stereotype exists for a reason. I will sure. say that. Yeah. Um, but road rage, you know, people mm-hmm. roll down the window, start saying you know no racist stuff to me. I, I'd pull over. I'd be like, pull over your car, get out of the car. Oh boy. And then I was like, <laughs> wow. after the adrenaline's yeah. over, I'm like, oh, my hand hurts. You know, I got a fat lip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, he could have had a gun. He yeah. could have had a knife. Like, it's not worth it. For sure. Um, that Yeah, that's uh, completely random. But yeah, that kind of thing, like, it's just, I, I feel like at that point, it was so terrifying. I'm like, I don't know if I can take any more negativity. Yeah. Like, I'm already angry at people for looking at me wrong and, you know, that kind of thing. So couple of years down the road let's see here i think i was 22 maybe mm-hmm. and at this point you know um i had met my wife and we we're married and she was 
she didn't really know. I never really opened up to her too much about feeling insecure about my adoption and my background. Yeah, we don't like talking about feelings. No, that's we can't. <laughs> Men don't do that. Yeah. We're tough. I'm still telling Chloe new things after being married for almost six years. Yeah, same here. <laughs> exact, exact same situation here. Yeah. But she was very supportive once I kind of told her about it. And she actually, um, funny story, I so same thing, I'm going forward with the paperwork. I kind of hit a dead end and I'm like, I give up. She's like, don't give up. I'm like, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll do it some other time. I'm still young. Um, so she actually started to email Korean social services, like as me, okay, without me knowing. Ah. <laughs> so I was, and I didn't know. And then one, one day she was like, hey, so I got this email uh, from Korean social services. And I kind of shot her a look and I was like, what? Why are you talking to them? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I was excited, but super scared mm-hmm. at the same time. So. Um, she was like, yeah, they uh, reached out and they found your biological mother. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, so what now? You know, I'm like, thank you for doing this for me. But like now it's, I'm in too deep. I, yeah. There's no, you know, no, I can't go back now. No, there's not. And she was like, oh, we're waiting to hear back from her. And that was, I think a couple weeks, but it felt like years. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then they got back to me and they actually found out that my biological mother and her mother so my biological grandmother mm-hmm. they went looking for information on me like 10 years ago okay so they agreed to have contact wow. with me that's awesome so yeah that was a super surreal crazy thing and she's super young so um interesting fact my biological mother was 15 years old when she had me wow so and culturally over there like having a child out of wedlock like is it's a huge no-no, like way more so than, uh, you know, conservative family in the United States. Okay. Um, especially that's good context. Yeah. So she had me when she was 15. Father was not in the the picture. I have no information or, uh, you know, and I'm not going to open up the can of worms with with my biological mother when I'm trying to establish some sort of relationship with her to this day. Yep. Um, so, you know, the fact that was another big thing, like uh, and me understanding, like, man, she could have easily been like, I'm, I'm fleshing this baby out. I'm not going to have him. Yeah. So, you know, understanding that going back to what you said about, um, mentally, uh, choosing to be positive in that perspective, in that sense, like, I'm very thankful that she decided to carry me and make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but anyway, she went looking for me and, uh, she was, she was just, you know, waiting, basically waiting and hoping that I would go forward with the, the process and trying to find her, which I did. So we exchanged a couple of, like letters mm-hmm. through um, translators, but uh, I was like, this is taking too long. It would take like a couple weeks mm-hmm. at a time. So uh, Korea has this like text messaging app called Kakao Talk. Um, okay. And uh, so I was like, can I, I asked the uh the social worker, can I just have their Kakao account? They're like, yeah, I don't see a problem with that, but like, you don't speak Korean. Lucky for me, my boss is Korean. Oh, that's awesome. It's crazy how like all of this stuff kind of came together. Yeah. So he was like, just attach me to the Kakao text message. And what she says in Korean, I'll type in English to you. And then okay. you type what you want to say back to her, and I'll translate oh, it back to Korean. So cool. That's so awesome. Now, like right now, I could pick up my phone, text her and say like, hey mom like how's the COVID-19 situation in Korea kind of thing that is so cool so you know and we exchanged pictures and it it kind of gave me like I came to a point where as a man I was like you know like I know who I am my, my wife would constantly remind me like you know just because you're you grew up different doesn't make you any different than who you are today uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of gave me that extra sense of um, wholeness, I guess you could say, um, to see pictures and people to be like, wow, you look like your mom. So yeah. finally at mm. 26 years old, 27 years old, you know, I hear that for the first time and it was just, it was spectacular. That's an outstanding story. That's yeah. so cool. It was insane. It was the scariest thing <laughs> I've ever I been through. Yeah. yeah. God, I can't even imagine that. Oh, <sighs> yeah. Mm. That's very cool. Yeah. It was insane. So, um, do you have any desire at some point in your life to make a trip over there? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, What's really cool is uh, my, like I said before, my older brother and my younger sister, we were all adopted from uh, South Korea. So I think I was like 12 and our whole family took a trip out there. Okay. So I actually met my foster mother who took care of me for those three months before I came here. Okay. And as soon as she walked into the room, she started calling me by my Korean name. Mm-hmm. As soon what's, as she saw me. What's your me, Korean name? Soonjin. Soonjin. Okay. S-O-O-N-J-I-N. Gotcha. Yeah. But you know, that was scary Mm because i was 12 i was like why is this old korean lady yelling at me (laughs) she's hugging me but you know like i said before my mom was like so good about trying to give us everything we needed as far as learning about our background so Mm -hmm. we took a whole trip out there as a family and i think we were there for two weeks and it was amazing that's cool but now that i'm grown and i have a family of my own and i want to expose them to that as well yeah i do definitely want to make a trip out there yeah and Mm -hmm. a conversation between me uh and my biological grandmother she mentioned something about someday meeting them in person Mm -hmm. which oh man that would be that would be sweet oh yeah that would be really cool but i'm a secret to my biological mother's family the only people that know about me are her and her mom and i think her brothers wow and she recently just got married okay and her husband knows nothing of this wow so it's like i'll, I'll be a secret that's cool like okay. I, I i you know i'm getting to know that's, you that's got to be a process for them too to oh f- yeah figure out how to navigate and that that's a whole well. other thing is like the time difference there so it's 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 uh morning there right now mm-hmm. it's nighttime here so i'm like do i text her or is her husband gonna like see her phone and be like who is this dude texting you you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and she can't be like oh you know it's it's my side guy like you know <laughs> but she also can't be but she also can't be like uh that's my son and she you know yeah. he'd be like what do you mean mm-hmm. so you know it's a lot of emotion for her too which mm-hmm. i understand i'm just grateful to have made that connection with her yeah have you picked up on any korean since you started talking with your mom um, no, I'm, I'm trying to learn the alphabet right now, which every single Korean person that I've met, they're like, oh, it's easier than learning the English alphabet. I'm like, maybe for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a process. And then I also hear a lot of people say, just watch, you know, Korean drama TV and read subtitles and you'll hear it and you'll learn it. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly working on it, but I only know a few phrases and mostly I don't know why it is, but every time you learn a foreign language, you only learn swear words. <laughs> so, so I know true. how to say really offensive things in Korean, but I can't say that to I, my mom. Yeah. I know how to say yeah. F you in Portuguese. We had, a, we had a Brazilian foreign exchange student when uh, when I was a senior. And he um, he and I both joined the basketball team our senior year. Okay. We, we were about as equally as skilled at basketball, and it was not very good. <laughs> but we, uh, we joined the team and sat the bench together, Victor. And... Uh, he yeah he basically taught me how to cuss at the refs in portuguese that's, and see yeah and that's all you that's all you care about learning when you're younger <laughs> and yeah. sometimes maybe as grown men that's you know interesting too but so i'm slowly learning i want to yeah. you know by the time i i i fly over there and i meet her i want to be able to at least say some things mm-hmm. uh, besides swear words yeah <laughs> oh for sure yeah. Oh, yeah it's your mom you gotta be yeah but i know that um korean social services i think they'll 
they'll help you in um, setting up like if you need a translator to be mm-hmm. there with you. Mm-hmm. So that would be cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So, um, what? Let me ask you this: What are what are those prog- like? I'm so I don't even know how to ask a smart question on this. <laughs> Other countries, um, outside of the U.S. So the U.S. has a lot. Like my uh, my cousin Mark, um, they had a hell of a time having a baby of their own, and they ended up adopting a little girl from China. Oh, cool! And it was a hell of a process oh it yeah tens of thousands of dollars i used to joke about that all the time like my parents paid big money for me they just <laughs> they just had to have you guys right. they, you, you were probably an oops baby bro you, you know you cost three shots of tequila yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh man but so yeah what what incentivizes some of these uh, some of these uh other countries to have um these robust adoption program man like, is it a cultural thing is it a it's c and i don't even do you have any insight on a that? little bit not not a ton not too much more than you do honestly so like just to put it in perspective um back what 27 years ago when my um, parents adopted me mm-hmm. i think it costs like around 11 to twelve thousand dollars the whole thing and in 1993, that's a that's a lot of money. It is. That's a ton of money. And um, my mother actually, she worked briefly in the uh, international adoption um, department through Bethany Christian Services. Okay. And she would, you know, tell me stories about how she actually left that position because it was just too much to for her to handle and for her to see like these these parents are going through like it's not it's not like a short process. No, it's not. It's years. It's a, yeah. And they do background checks. Do you have any pets? You know, what's your income? You have to pay this much money. And it's it's tens of thousands, twenties of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I don't know why. It is getting a lot more strict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because they they don't want to have that feeling of shipping their kids overseas to the U.S. or what. But um, even domestic adoption is, is pretty... Uh, extensive these days and mm-hmm. i think it's you know it's just the way that the the culture is like everything's so you know we have to be so careful which i agree but at the same time you know it don't make it fifty thousand dollars just to For sure apply to hope to get you know a child from mm-hmm. africa china korea wherever it may be yeah for sure but I, yeah i can't tell you why it is the way it is it's insane yeah what um so your your personal story um probably has a lot to do with your pro-life beliefs yes how um it kind of walk me through because you 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 briefly um you you kind of brushed over this earlier Mm -hmm. about how grateful you were oh yeah absolutely Um, what so how how is your personal experience kind of found laid the foundation of your your beliefs um yeah so um I mean, like we both said, we, we grew up Catholic, which yep. in that sense, like if you're Catholic, you're Republican. If you're Republican, you're pro-life, which, you know, pro-life to me is not, it shouldn't be a political stance. No. It should be a moral stance. No. Yeah, I don't yeah, care right. if you, you know, you're blue, green party, purple, sure. whatever it is. Sure. Um, but once I got older and I started to process these things and realized that, you know, yeah, it could have been easy for a 15-year-old girl who's scared to death in Korea with no father, obviously not married, and, you know, her friends, her family, like, whoever knew, it's it's a shameful thing. Yeah. It'd be way easier for her to say, I'm, I'm going to abort. Mm-hmm. I don't need to deal with this. And she made the decision to carry me for, you know, full term, nine months. 
and then she had to let me go, mm-hmm. which I think would be the hardest thing to do yeah. to have a child and be like, I need to. I give can't you, even imagine. I need to give you a better opportunity than I can give you. That that is that is love that we we really can't put into words. Yeah, it's 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 such it's I and like I said, in my opinion, it's the biggest sacrifice uh, a human could make mm-hmm. is to give up their own child in order to give them a better opportunity. Yep. So realizing that and having that perspective, I was like, man, like I'm here. I have my own family now. Like it's, um, there's been an argument with pro-life if we're going to get onto this real quick. Sure, um, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you're not, you're not killing the, the one child. You're killing generations. Mm-hmm. And I saw this funny meme. It was, uh, these people shouting up at God. If again, if we're going to go here, mm-hmm. um, it's like, why is there cancer? You didn't send us a cure to cancer. And he's like, I did. And he's like, where, where is it? And he's like, you aborted him. Yeah. You know, where's, where's the cure to Alzheimer's? Like I sent it to you. Where'd they go? You aborted them. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many opportunities that can come from just one life. For sure. And like you said before, every single life means something. It's precious. You're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I think my personal experience and realizing how lucky I am to be here that is kind of an extra drive behind uh, my beliefs about being pro-life. Yeah. You, there's, there's a, a misnomer, I think, that, um, and, and it's a terrible argument, but I'll bring it up just to, just to, um, there, there are people that say that there, there are, um, there are pro-lifers out there who are, who are screaming at, from the top of the lungs that abortions are evil, they should be banned, uh, which they should, but, the argument that they make is that it, you know this this child if if abortions are illegal this child is just going to be born into poverty mm-hmm. but but at the in the meantime there are thousands and thousands of children that are available for adoption that pro-lifers aren't doing anything about what, yeah. what is what is kind of your response to that i have my own but i want to hear yours um yeah and that's the thing is uh you know like I actually, this is funny. I just had this conversation with my wife like two nights ago. She was on Instagram showing me this, this woman that was going through this crazy in vitro, you know, process and it's super expensive. It's, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it can be physically dangerous, but I believe it can complicate pregnancy big time if it is successful. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, if that's what you choose to do, I respect that, you know, you want to have a kid of your own, but at the same time, like I, I just want to, uh, you know, encourage adoption. Because like you said, a lot of pro-life people are like, have the baby, but they don't like, they don't seem to care what happens after that. Just have the baby. And like, if they grow up in the system, if they grow up in poverty on the streets, you know, if they grow up with, uh, you know, druggy parents, like whatever it may be, there's a lot of sad situations, but Mm -hmm. I think it needs to go beyond that and be like, you know, not just pro-baby, pro-life, but just like, you know, pro-life in general and care about what happens after that. So yeah, I definitely advocate for obviously being adopted and having been adopted. um, You know, we actually thought about going into, uh, looking into adoption ourselves Mm -hmm. just because that opportunity that, you know, you can literally save a child's life, Mm -hmm. you know, from poverty or from, uh, you know, bad situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this amazing thing. It's, it's, just, it's an awesome uh, opportunity that you can give yourself and give, you know, a child. Yeah. I, my answer to that question. Yeah. I want to hear is, this. <laughs> so I, and I had this conversation with, with uh, uh, a lefty the other day and uh, I left her speechless, which I found entertaining. Yes. I need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're, 
she was talking and her beef was with the pro uh, with um with right to life which is a pro-life mm-hmm. activist group yeah if you will oh yeah um their their specifically f- their specific focus is on um on anti-abortion legislation okay and awareness that's their shtick now they do also do other things for crisis pregnancies and young single mothers and stuff like that they they have things on the side that they do they fund programs like that etc but that's not their that's not their shtick their shtick is the legislative side we are going to make this horrible thing illegal and so my (laughs) my argument to this gal was if can i can i make a parallel for you yeah she was like she was like yes i was like okay so um you know what when you, I'm assuming you're you're in favor of Black Lives Matter, and she's like, yes, like I'm like like the organization Black Lives Matter, not just the statement, but you're in favor of the organization, and she's like, yes, and I was like, what is that organization designed to do? And she's like, it's it's designed to raise awareness about police brutality. I was like, okay, that's fine. Now, does that organization give one single damn about the black cop that got shot in St. Louis a couple months ago? And she hesitated for a second. I was like, no, they don't. And it's because they're an activist group that originally, and we can argue whether or not this is still the case, but Black Lives Matter, the organization, was originally designed to create awareness about police brutality and legislation. Okay. Okay. That's their shtick. That's what their thing is. Okay. Like it or hate it, that's what they were originally designed to do. Now, I can make a pretty strong argument that they've really gotten away from that. Um, they've turned themselves into a really profitable little merch company too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the sake of an argument is, but so do you want, do you kind of see the parallel in that? And she's like, yes. Okay. And I was like, well, let me make one more parallel. Um, you say that they're, you know, they're all, you know, abortion is okay because there's all these, you know, uh, like all of these adoption centers that are full and there are millions of babies all over that need to be adopted and none of these pro-lifers out there adopting any babies. She's like, yes, that is true. It's like, okay, what if we, instead of outlawing abortion through legislation, what if we just defund it and not like get rid of it, but just reallocate those funds (laughs) from abortion and Planned Parenthood over into adoption agencies and crisis pregnancy resource centers. What do you think about that? And you could just see like the wheels. Hey, that is an awesome point to make. So I'm just like, look, you you know, I understand where you're coming from. You're coming from a standpoint of ignorance. And you think that I don't have the right to speak about this because I'm a white dude and I don't have a vagina. That's what that's your opinion right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I've clearly thought a lot more about this than you have. So maybe you should think about this a little. Yes, bit. and that's the thing that people don't do. They, they don't want to think. No, they they, s- they want to hear what's on the Facebook or on the yes, TV. And it's all media. Regurgitate. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and you are educated if you go on Facebook and read a few posts. And yes. Yeah, it's crazy. If you if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you watch the news, you are misinformed. Yes. You have to dig a little bit deeper. Oh yeah, for sure. So. So, anyway, <laughs> we got on that thyroid. Uh, Joe, do you have anything to add to this point? Not really. You got to have something. That. Tell me, Joe. 
we, we've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit, and I don't feel the need to go more. <laughs> that's that's true. Jokes. That's safe. I guess. Okay. Okay. I, I guess the uh, I will I will make a, make a point on abortion. Uh, I know Jake, you brought up kind of those the most horrible cases of abortion where it it really is for the protection of the baby and uh, I guess supposedly. And I actually got into, I made the mistake of getting into a Facebook argument in a comment section. Oh, no. Bad decision. This is always bad. Well, okay, hold on. I did, did, however, have enough foresight to at least kind of say my piece and put my opinion out there without uh, trying to step on the other person. I literally wrote like a, probably like a 250 word paper with cited sources on on all of this. (laughs) But uh, in doing this research for this Facebook argument, I found out that Florida actually tracks the uh, reason behind every abortion that happens. Oh, interesting. interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And so the the most interesting part of that is those cases where it is either medically necessary to save the life of the mother or in a, a case of uh, disease uh a disease or uh, ailment that the child has mm-hmm. that makes up like it was for sure less than 5%, but I'm pretty sure it was closer to like 2% of all abortion cases. The vast majority of all the abortion cases in Florida for like 2018 and 2019 were convenience. Wow. And murder's when, convenient. eh? Yeah. And when, <laughs> when these people are talking about these situations where, um, it's it's out of convenience, or they're 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 trying to argue for abortion, yeah. Based on these fringe cases, I sit there and I cringe and I say like, what? It doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't make the laws based on these these small percentage. I would actually weigh as much of a pro life advocate as I am, and I think abortion is completely wrong. If someone said to me, if you make an exception for these fringe cases where it is absolutely medically necessary for the mother to live or the child has uh, a terrible disease they're not going to live over X, X amount of months. For sure. I would rather make that exception and make everything else illegal than right. lose the fight as we are right now. I'll even, I'll even open it up to this, Joseph. If... Um, if you can prove that the, the mother, like, and I'm not even, I, I, I say this from an argument standpoint, not necessarily cause it's what I believe. Um, but let's say, cause th- this isn't, this is an argument that, uh, pro choicers make all the time is like, what about the case of rape and incest and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I, if I you throw, if you it. throw that into that category, um, it, it, again, that gets incredibly messy and oh, yeah. proving that would be a nightmare. It'd be almost impossible, but in a perfect world, hypothetically, let's say we could do that and we could prove if if it was rape or incest or something like that, okay, that's still legal, but everything else is illegal. Um, yeah. yeah, I would take that versus having it just be oh, yeah. laissez-faire, you know, you can get an abortion at will. Yeah. Absolutely. I would so. 100% make that make that concession yeah. in an instant. Yeah. We, we have this conversation a lot about on the show what the government's actually supposed to do. And if you're still listening, <laughs> let me remind you, life liberty pursuit of happiness the first one being life yep. life <laughs> and actually here okay man you the got, only you thing on the only rabbit. thing the government's supposed to do protect life liberty and pursuit of happiness 
And I think it's important. A lot of people talk to me because I'm very openly a Christian person. Uh, whenever I talk about being pro-life, they immediately uh, link it to my faith. And I think if you, to something that I thought of the other day in kind of trying to bring it back to something that's not just religious, if you want to think of this unborn child and you don't think it's murder kind of as as i think jake mentioned before if you don't do anything that unborn baby will become born will become a person that has all of the natural rights that the government recognizes wherever you think those rights come from that's that's on you but if you don't do anything that will become a life if you stop that that is murder of a, so it's, of it's a, a life. A, a potential life, you could even put it in the category of. Yeah, and I think... For an argument standpoint. <laughs> that that becomes kind of a fine line because then people will say, oh, that that means that masturbation is uh, is killing all these babies because there's a potential life in that in that sperm. But there's a, it's a... It becomes a completely different situation when the egg is fertilized as soon as you as soon as that fertilization happens and life begins yeah that needs to be protected because at that point if you stop there then and you just let things happen as nature intends yeah then there's a life that will i like to remind the pro-choicers on there like when you really get down to it like when life begins like the science is really not on your side like the, the quote-unquote party of science i know like you know, liberals are going nuts about like, you know, conservatives and the whole COVID thing. We're not listening to the doctors and scientists, blah, blah, blah. Well, y'all aren't listening to the doctors about abortion. So shut the hell up. Like, <laughs> Also true. So yeah. I yeah. actually reached out to a, um, uh, like a, a guy, he's, he's, um, finishing up his doctorate in, um, like neuroscience. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, you obviously, you know, you know a lot about this and you're a, like a microbiologist to, you know, For sure. he, he has tons of, you know, different, uh, degrees and there's a lot of credibility. Yeah. So I reached out to him. I'm like, Hey, just a quick question. You know, does, does life begin at, you know, the moment of fertilization or conception? And, uh, he, I, like I, knowing this, he is a, uh, I, I believe he's pro-choice. Um, he's a big science guy, which I respect, you know? Um, but he said, you know, biologically yes yeah. that is when life begins mm -hmm. he said biologists that's what they believe i'm like so it's science yeah he's like it is science he said the only argument that a lot of people um such as himself uh make is they have no um neurologically there's no you know activity there's not you know any sense other than it just being life i'm like but you know the fact of the matter is just so i before i go and post on facebook about this yeah. um this was before i made a huge long pro-life thing mm -hmm. about my background and my story and why i'm pro-life mm -hmm. um he said yeah biologically technically life begins yeah at so what he's basically saying is that yes but We've developed a system of doing some mental gymnastics to get around that scientific. Yeah, fact. and then you can turn the, you know, flip the coin on the other side. It's like, well, what about your grandfather that's in a coma? Mm -hmm. He's he's is mentally. It okay to, is it okay to stab him? Mentally, he's not there. Yeah. So therefore, his life is not existence anymore. Mm -hmm. So I can go ahead and unplug him, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, no, that's terrible. I'm like, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you boil when you boil it down to logic and science it's hard to make an argument there yeah. so oh, by the way and if you're listening to this and you're pro-choice and you disagree with everything that i said 
uh, you can shoot me an email uh, at rutkowskipod at gmail.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you. One of the things that is, in, and it's a natural wall that I'm running into, is that everybody in my circle of friends seems to have uh, similar standpoints or s- similar viewpoints on life and similar perspective. Um, I met you like a couple times at a baseball game, and we, our life story is basically the same. Yeah, this is got insane. Adopted from Korea. But no, seriously, shoot me an email, and I'd love to have you on and have a conversation with you. And seriously, I'll I'll be open minded. I'm I'm very, um, I'm very confident in my in what I believe. But there are, there have been, um, just this year, and and I'll name one right now. Something that I believe to my core for a very long time, uh, that I actually flip flopped on, and it's uh, it's the death penalty. Oh, okay. So I I heard something that completely. Uh, one phrase that completely flipped my perspective because before I'm like, yeah, some somebody rapes somebody, somebody murders three people in cold blood, like yeah, take them out in the backyard and shoot them. <laughs> I'm and, and in and in a sense I'm for that, but from a legal process standpoint, when you have executions being legal, you are you are opening. Uh, possibilities of executing an innocent person it, it, i actually oh man uh i took an ethics course at grand valley it was okay. like one of the first classes that i took after my transfer and uh we got to the death penalty and i screwed some people up basically saying a similar point like there are definitely times where i think personally that people deserve to die for, for what sure they did. yeah Pro life over here, like there, there are certain, there are certain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah, but there are definitely, there's definitely no, no way that I would trust the government process, which, yeah, indeed is fallible, mm-hmm. and has screwed up. Yep. To give an execution, like that, just there's no, there's no taking that back, because you there's such a high possibility of the system not working exactly because of how it's formed you i just can't give the government that power okay so you guys have to pull up the story nicholas yaris y-a-r-r-i-s nicholas yaris he went on joe rogan he spent he's he's now an author and a motivational speaker but he spent 30 he spent 20 years on death row for a murder that he did not commit yeah that's i've heard of stories like this it's insane so imagine if they killed him yes for something he didn't do for sure Mm -hmm. so that's from yeah so from the spirit of the law i'm all for it from a legal process standpoint yeah i i can't i can't be for that so that's so again that's just an example of something that i've changed my mind on in the last year and it was from hearing one court case where there is a there is a prosecutor going after an innocent man who was bending the rules and going through jump, making them the the defense team jump through all of these different processes um, to prove this guy to be innocent. He he ended up walking after a inc- incredibly um, contested trial, and it's can't like imagine. I can't even imagine. No. So you, you open up you you open up Pandora's box with the death penalty that you could potentially kill an innocent person and i'm not okay with that so man <sighs> we opened up pandora's box yes we're talking did. about that <laughs> <laughs> we, definitely, we definitely did oh man so 
let's wrap this up. Um, do you have Do you have anything that you um, that you wanted to talk about that we did not cover? Oh man, just um, I guess just a couple. Like I feel like experiences are the best way to to let people know. Yeah, kind of like on the inside of like what I was feeling. Um, just a couple notes that I had, like things that people don't like you said joe schmo doesn't think about uh as far as like having been adopted or the whole process or yep. what it's like growing up different you know from your parents um like randomly you know like i go to the bank this is when i'm younger and i'm my mom goes up to the counter to be helped and i follow up behind her and they they're like hey you need to stay in back i don't know where your parents are but like i'm helping her there's personal information being uh-huh. exchanged and I just kind of looked at him, and my mom's like, "That's my son." And you could tell they were like, "Oh, oh shit, yeah." yeah. yeah. Um, so stuff like that happened all the time at the store. They'd be like, "Sir, can you take your items off the belt? I'm not. I need to finish ringing this woman up." And I'd be like, "That's my mom." Mm-hmm. Same thing. Like, yeah. "Oh man, what did I do?" Yeah. Or you know, we're at a place, and and my little sister is crying, and my dad goes to pick her up, and this guy starts freaking, "Hey, put that little girl down. What are you doing?" And he's like, "This oh, is my god, you know, because." we look different yeah so therefore we're not related wow so little things like that um they they start to eat away at you for sure and like i said when you're younger you don't think about it but as a grown man now i'm like man that's really messed up Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's crazy little things like that that people don't think about i think that's why that ignorance exists because like you said again um people don't want to take that extra step and think and then after thinking about it you do something about it or you know you become more aware which i feel like culturally we we lack a lot of awareness outside of our own little bubble of that is very true yeah i will be the first to say that i'm i'm i I learn something new every day or at least i try to yeah um it's really interesting because my my dad uh he's he works on an ambulance and his his partner's black and it's only important for the story because many times uh someone will, will make a comment and be like, oh yeah, this is my brother. And and it confuses the crap out of people. But I forget that that's the reality of some people. Like some people have that as their reality where it is actually their brother or sister. And it's not, it's not, it's not a joke at that point. Um, or it's not just uh, a close, close friend relationship that you're, that you're referring to. Um, yeah and i think it's interesting to to be aware of that from from your perspective yeah and like you know playing sports like hey are your parents here uh, oh yeah my dad's over there sitting by the third base dugout like i don't see him like he's the only guy over there he's that guy right there you know with the glasses that's your dad how how is that your dad he's the guy wearing the green valley field yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're you know they're just they they don't even think about oh maybe you know you're adopted it's just you that's not your dad it can't be your dad he's he's a polish dude and i love to confuse people when they ask me what my ethnicity is hey uh-huh. what are you bro like i'm, I'm polish yeah and they stop <laughs> and they stare at me they're like what do you mean like yeah. my last name is saltesiak they're like that is polish but you're not are but, you um how do i say this <laughs> yeah like uh what <laughs> yeah so so you enjoy messing with people sometimes oh yeah you have yeah. to sometimes um you know i think helping uh, it helps you know kind of break up the uh like the realness behind how, you know, ignorant, you know, people can be. And, um, obviously I've been ignorant towards other people too. I've, you know, but it's like, these are everyday things that I've gone through plenty of times that people don't think about. 
So that's why, you know, I'm so grateful to be here speaking to maybe just even if it's just one person listening to this makes them think like, oh, did I do that? Or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it's just crazy experience. I could go on and on about it. Mm -hmm. And um, just another quick uh, thing I wanted to address was you. So when you I finally like met and started working uh, at the sushi bar, there's a lot of other Asian people. And I was like, finally, like I get to be around other Asian people. Mm -hmm. But they all you know, their parents were migrated from, you know, China or uh, Vietnam or Korea. So it's like, I'm not quote unquote Asian enough to be one of them. Yeah. But I'm also too quote unquote Asian for all of my white friends. That's so interesting. So like you're stuck in the middle. You're in limbo. Yeah. And that's, that's what it felt like um, until, you know, figuring out, you know, myself i guess mm. you could say so it's like there's no like I, I i stated before like you feel like there's no one like you there's there's no one with the same background yeah and there are a lot but they're just not speaking about it so yep it's crazy wow all right jake one last thought what do you have to say to somebody who out there who's adopted who may be uh maybe struggling uh, with kind of finding who they are as a person. What's something, like, if you could boil it down to one thing, which is incredibly difficult, <laughs> what, what what piece of advice would you give them? Um, man, that is, that is a tough one that you just hit me with. I guess for me personally, uh, what helped me through was um, recognizing the, the reasons behind my insecurity and just hitting it head on. You know, you... I felt like, like you said, I felt like a, a victim for a while. And I was just really, I was like, how do I get out of this? You know, mm -hmm. vicious cycle of just getting up, being sad, wondering why I'm here, telling myself I have no purpose. Um, until I actually addressed that, I, I couldn't grow out of it. So I just encourage people to not shy away from, you know, the reasons maybe you're you're feeling that way. And uh, just to hit it head on and, and you can mentally uh, make a change and, you know, just by addressing your problems, that's already growing right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Don't shy away from it. No, you got to hit it head on and, and that's the only way you can move on past it. Yep. Absolutely. If there's an elephant in the room, throw the skunk on the table. That's that's right. <laughs> absolutely. What? <laughs> don't think about that too much, Joe. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, if you're still listening to this, you're uh, one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet. On behalf of myself, producer Joe and Jake, just want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, invite you to like uh, like this and subscribe on all podcast platforms. That helps us out a great deal. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, maybe you want to reach out to uh, myself or Jake. Uh, we'll put both of our emails in the in the comment thread of this. Uh, and again, if you disagreed with anything that I said and you want to come on, feel free to shoot me an email, tell me why I'm a dumbass, and then we can uh, <laughs> we can have a conversation about that. I'm totally open to it. So uh, again, uh, we are signing off, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your night. 